Let's pray. Father, we just saying that we need you, and we're going to look at a text that proves that. May our be that, and may we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the book of Colossians as we continue our study, Live in Reality. And like I said, I think that these Colossians were faced with the idea of a virtual reality Christ. And uh, we have that now, constant virtual reality accessible to us. And I hope you have that same prayer of, Lord, I need you. And I find it very interesting when our world cries out, Lord, I need you. They don't use those words, but they're saying it. And you remember what Jesus said, if we don't talk up, eventually the stones themselves will cry out. Now, a place where you don't always expect a cry for, Lord, I need you, is from an American rapper. He's actually technically Canadian. This is Tom McDonald. He released a single on Friday called Superman. The song was called Superman, and in that song, he cries out, Lord, we need you. Listen to the lyrics of part of this song. As he reflected on Israel, all the death in Israel, Gaza, America, and Ukraine, he sings this. I don't understand who is good or bad. They don't care as long as you have oil sands. We need something fast. We need something bad. More than guns and tanks, where is Superman? And then the chorus is, oh, where is Superman? And just repeats over and over again. He's saying we need a power that is bigger than these powers. We need something that's not just the United States, not just Ukraine, not just Israel. We need something that is even greater than all of these things. And I had a different illustration. I heard that song. I'm like, that's my opening illustration right there. Here we have an unbeliever crying out and saying, where is Jesus? Lord, I need you. Where is the king of kings? Where is the ruler of rulers? Where is the president of presidents? We get to answer that question today. Because Scripture says Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And those who serve in the military have a clear understanding of rank. But Tom is looking for someone who is ranked above all ranks. And our text today is going to talk about the title of the message, The Greatness of Jesus. We're going to talk about three different environments in which Jesus is preeminent. And I want to give you a definition for preeminence. It just basically means first in rank. When you see the word preeminent, it means first in rank, first in importance, first. Jesus Christ is first in rank. And environment number one in which Jesus is first or in which Jesus is preeminent is creation. He is preeminent. He is first in rank over creation. Look at our text, Colossians 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and is invisible. Do you ever feel like you're fighting an invisible enemy? Or do you ever listen to the news and say, it seems like there's something more going on that's not just the enemy that we're fighting. Yeah, he created the visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. One of the things I've grown to appreciate in studying Paul is his love for the saints. Paul really, really, really cared for people who were Christians. Whether they were in churches he had established or not. And he loved the Colossians, which he had never, he'd never been to the Colossian church, yet he had a love for them. And they're having someone coming in saying, you've got to 
you've got to do all this Jewish ritualism stuff, and you've got to behave in this legalistic way, and you've got to be mystic, and you have to uh, approach God in a mystical way. And Paul goes, no, church. Don't be led away by those false teachings. And in love for them, he says, don't be swayed. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. He's like, these people sound good. I was listening to, you ever heard of The Pond? The little kids show, the Christian kids show, The Pond? I was listening to that with my daughter this week. And uh, someone got on there and talking about a philosopher. And like, what's, what is a philosopher? And, and one of the characters says, it's someone who says a bunch of things nobody understands. <laughs> my God, it's a great definition. And, and they corrected him to the proper definition of someone who thinks deeply. But I'm like, that's, that's a good definition. They say a lot of things that you go, I have no clue what you're saying. And I think what was happening in this church is people were, were coming in in the community and they were saying this stuff and the, the Christians are going, I don't understand it, but it sounds true. It sounds smart. It sounds intellectual. And Paul says, don't be, don't be led away by those arguments. And he goes on the offensive and he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word is icon. You ever... I know we don't use cash that much anymore. Most of us, some of us do. But in this time, whenever someone would hand over a coin, there would be an icon of Caesar. And you remember what Jesus says? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. And he even asks, he says, here, look, let's look at a coin. Whose face is on it? It's Caesar's. And so he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That's what it means. That, that it's, it's a picture of him. And today you might have a $5 bill. It's, you have... You have the, the icon of Abraham Lincoln or a 20 icon of Andrew Jackson. Listen, Jesus Christ is the invisible God made visible. Jesus Christ is the invisible God made visible because no one has ever seen God, right? It says, write that in John 1 that Denny read for us. No one has ever seen God, but the Son has made him visible to us. I think this is a very important note, and so you might, might want to write it down or think about this. If God the Son looks different in your mind than God the Father, you're worshiping either a false Jesus or a false father. Let me say that again. If God the Son looks different in your mind than God the Father, you're either worshiping a false Jesus or a false father. Because it says here, he's the image of God. There's nothing true of the Father that's not true of the Son. Is, is the Father omnipotent and creator of the world? Absolutely. Did Jesus create the world? You bet he did. Is the Father everywhere? You bet. Is Jesus everywhere? Absolutely. Does God the Father know who you are? Yes, he does. Does Jesus Christ know what is in man? You remember that verse in John 4? He knew what was in man. He didn't need man to tell him. You say, well, I feel like God is a judge. God is angry. He is mad towards sin. Have you ever seen how Jesus responded in the temple? <laughs> yeah, Jesus doesn't like sin either. But he loves sinners. And you know what? My Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Do you know that God is the one who loves sinners too? God the Father loves sinners. John wrote, I believe no one has ever seen God. The only Father who is at his side has made him known. John 1.18. Here we got these verses up. So John believed that Jesus was the image of God. We also have Jesus who said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus believed that he was the image of God. Paul clearly said that Jesus is the image of God. And then even the author of Hebrews says this. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. It's fun having kids because people like to come up and tell you who they look like. And in my experience, whoever they know first is who they think the kid looks like. <laughs> so I go to people who know me, they're like, oh, your kid looks like 
looks just like you. And I go down to Emily's family's house, and they're like, wow, they look just like you, Emily. It's like, okay, I get it. I see how this is working. You're picking your favorite friend here. Okay. But, but you have kids, and you're like, he's in the spitting image of his father. You ever heard that? Jesus is the image of God. He is God made visible. But how is he preeminent? How is he first? In what ways is he first? Jesus, first of all, he is before creation, so he's first in time. Jesus is before creation. He is first in time. It says right there in the text, he is before all things. Verse 17, he is before all things. In the beginning, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says all things were created through him and for him. Guess what? If you're going to create all things, you have to be there before all things are created, right? So he's first in creation. Secondly, he's above creation. He is first in power. He is first in power. In college and even part of my married life, I was addicted to video games. I could play them for hours on end. And the thing that was constantly in the back of my mind was just one more game. Just one more game. Just one more game. You probably heard that if you've ever worked with someone with addiction. It was always the next game that would get me where I could, could turn off the game. But then one day, I remember a, a very interesting day. Um, one day, I, I clicked a button. And it was the power button. <laughs> and the game went off. And I took it out of the console, put it in the case, and I walked and I put it in the trash. All of a sudden, it no longer had power over me. When I was playing, it felt like it had power over me. Like, like I just, I couldn't let go of it. But all of a sudden, I had to realize, no, I am above this game in power. I am greater than this game in power. Guess what? Jesus is greater than all things in power. There is nothing on this earth that is greater than Jesus Christ. There is no black magic. There is no government. There is no demon or ungodly force that is above him. I saw just another an advertisement the other day. Uh, for some more horror movies. And I told Emily, I was like, these horror movies are not just cinematic perfection. These horror movies, you watch, you watch even the commercials and you're like, there, there's satanic influence that's just spread throughout them that you can see in the commercial. And I'm just like, it's, it's right there. I can see it. And one of the things that horror does, is, horror, horror films do, is they typically try to take something innocent and they twist it. So that's why they have clowns. If clowns are innocent, <laughs> and they have baby dolls, if baby doll, and they have a kid, they try to take something innocent and they twist it. But here's the thing: if you ever see even a commercial for that, it seems like a power that's absolutely in incredibly powerful. And Jesus says, "Ha! <laughs> there is no horror film. There is no Ouija board. There is no principality. No power that's greater than I am. He is first in power. Let us see. He created creation." And so he is, here, let her see, he is first in authority. It says, by him all things were created. For you kids, um, how many of you have seen the Lego movie? Have you seen the Lego movie? Okay. I, you remember at the end of the movie when, uh, when he's got the whole fort built out? And it's like, well, who's actually in charge of that? Who is the one who is in charge of how the, the game was played? It was the humans. And I, I thought of the Lego movie when I thought of this. Jesus is greater in authority, and he is over all. And you say, well, Jesus Christ, we believe all this. Most of us probably are already on the same page with this. Is there any threat to the name of Jesus Christ? Have you ever had someone knock on your door? It starts off with two ladies, and they say, do you need hope? 
Say, yeah, I need hope. <laughs> have, you, have you read the news? <laughs> of course I need hope. <laughs> and they say, well, let me tell you about um, the hope that you can have from Scripture, and I'd like to do a Bible study with you. And you look at the bottom of that Bible study, and it says jw.org, right? You know, I have to commend them, though, for going out. Some of us, some, they put some of us to shame in actually trying to reach out to others. But if you could take them to John chapter 1, which says that Jesus Christ is God. They have in their Bible, Jesus Christ is a God. But I did not know this until studying this week. Do you know that they have Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, written out a little bit differently too? Let's see if you catch anything in here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By means of him, all other things were created in heaven and on earth. The things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. And also, he is before all other things, and by him all other things were made to exist. And he is the head of the body, the congregation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might become the one who is first in all things. Because God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all other things by making peace through the blood that he shed on the torture stake, whether the things on earth or the things in heaven. Hopefully you caught the thing that's added in there. See that word other? All other things, because they believe Jesus Christ is a created being. That there was the Father, and God the Father created the Son, and from the Son emanates the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if creation... Well, let me, let me just say this. You can't have all and other back-to-back. <laughs> By him, all other things were made to exist. No, either all things exist because of Jesus... Or most things exist because of Jesus. And so even in our day and age, we have people who deny that Jesus Christ is God. That he is the one true God. And he always has been. And I don't know if creation has a memory, but can you just imagine with me the sea's delight when it felt the footprints of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he walked on it, as the storm raged, and he gets into the boat. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the storm is stilled. Or the time when he's, he's sleeping in the boat and the, the waves are going like crazy and they hear the voice of the Savior. Because remember, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke them into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be the firmament, and there was the firmament. God said, let there be animals, and there was animals. Who is God, according to this text? Jesus. So imagine when Jesus says, Peace be still. And the, the ocean or the wave says, I know that voice. Maybe now, because remember it says in Romans 8, the creation is subject to futility. Ever read that? It's subject to futility. The earth doesn't like what the earth is at, okay? <laughs> if there's anyone complaining about the earth and, and, and what's happening, the earth is upset about it. Because it says even the earth was, was, was condemned. I don't think there were thorns, or I don't think that there were weeds before sin. Especially these tumbleweeds. What is up with that? I've been getting tumbleweeds in my yard. Anyway, that's a side note. But imagine what it, what it would have been like if they, had to, if they have a memory and recognize the voice of their creator and they jump to obey. Or maybe the bread and the fish in the boy's basket recognize the master's voice and they just keep multiplying. What a privilege it would have been for the star to shine over Jesus when he was born. And you know, it may have looked like the tree was crying blood as it held up the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
But how fun would it have been? Again, this is imagination. If 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 inanimate objects have a memory, how fun would it have been for the tombstone when the angel put his hand on it and rolled it away and out walked Jesus Christ, our Savior? What a delight that would have been. He is before all things. He is before. He is first in power, first in authority. Next. He sustains creation. He is first in necessity. He's first in necessity. When you pour concrete, you put rebar in it to hold it together. When kids play crafting, they use glue to put hold paper together. And our bodies even have a cell adhesion molecule that holds your membranes together. What keeps your guts in? You know what it is? Maybe you've heard this before. It's laminin. You ever heard of that? This is a, a, a rendering of laminin. What does it look like? It looks like a cross. This is the, the protein. This is what holds the proteins together. It's a cell adhesion molecule. And this is what holds your body together. Here's a, here's a scientific picture of it. This is under a microscope. Here's what it looks like. How awesome is that? That even the stuff that like keeps your skin on has a cross in it. It says, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 11, or Hebrews, turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Then he read it for us. But Hebrews chapter 1, and then we're going to jump back to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. But Hebrews 1, verse 3, this is page 1001 in your chair Bible, following along there. Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I think it's impressive to think about trees being held together, the ground being held together, but what about the universe? The universe is held together by the power of Jesus Christ. Go back to Genesis chapter 8, way back at the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 8. There was a... Uh, man who was some people don't know all the books of the Bible but it's interesting most of us know Genesis there's a man who's making a joke about the beginning of the Bible he says Genesis Exodus do the right thing right but he knows where Genesis is so hopefully you know where Genesis is page six in your Bible Genesis chapter eight Genesis chapter eight verse 22 says this while the earth remains Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I was talking with my daughter yesterday about global warming. And uh, looking at that, because we have, we have some, a whole bunch of scientific books, and it talks right away about global warming and how humans affect it. And I'm encouraged to know that Jesus Christ is the one who holds the universe together by his power. And I have a guarantee from Jesus Christ that tonight the sun's going to set. And tomorrow, you know what it's going to do? It's going to come up again. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow the sun's going to set. And it's going to come up again. And winter's going to come. <laughs> winter's going to come, it is. And then summer's going to come again. Because we have a promise from Jesus Christ, I want you to look at another promise that tells us that Jesus holds all things together. This is one that I think many Jews are holding on to right now. Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. 
verse 20 and 21. Actually, just today, um, I was reading in Isaiah, or no, in Hosea, chapter 3, and prayed for Israel. As it says in Hosea, chapter 3, after the children of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they'll come in to fear the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. One day Israel is going to wake up and say, Jesus is my Savior and the one I need to depend on. But for right now, I think many Jews hold on to this passage. Jeremiah 33, look at verse 20 and 21. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that the day will not... The day and night will not come at their appointed time. Then also my covenant with David, my servant, will be broken so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. And I believe that there are many Jews who are probably looking at that promise and saying, you know what? As long as the sun comes up, God has a promise with us. And hopefully they repent and turn to the Lord. And I may be speaking to someone today, though, who feels like your life is falling apart. All your dreams and your aspirations and hopes have been crushed. And I want you to come to the one who holds all things together. I've heard enough stories from married couples who say, we're still together after so many years and we have no clue why. Maybe Jesus does some holding marriages together. You think that might happen? How about someone who's been through a really difficult life and say, I have no clue I kept it together. Well, maybe, maybe Jesus held it together for you. Come to the one who holds all things together. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And that's an encouragement to you for us because most likely you have a loved one whose life is falling apart. and We can pray God hold them together. Environment number two, Jesus is preeminent over the church. Verses 18 through 20, if you go back to our text, so he's preeminent over creation. He's also preeminent over the church. Colossians 1, 18 through 20 says, He is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. One of, one of the guys who has challenged me in evangelism his name's Chris Selby. He started this company called Multiply Ministries. And one of my favorite things is he would get on Facebook Live all the time. And Nate Gill and Bob and Bonnie's son-in-law has had a lot of interaction with him. But he would get on and he would be telling about someone he's witnessing to. And he would always end or al almost every one of his videos at some time and he would say, Team Jesus, yes! And I think I've shared that story before. But he always loved talking about Team Jesus. He has opinions that are a little bit different than mine. But boy, he loves Jesus Christ. And he's out to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This week, I was at a conference in Illinois. And I was at a conference with brothers from the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And right in front, I have a brother who's in a gospel-preaching Lutheran church. Loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Loves sharing the gospel. And he, and he sprinkles babies. <laughs> and we tease him every time about how we're going to baptize him at this conference. He's been coming for years, and he takes the joke pretty well. But the, this man, I'm going to spend eternity with him. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He preaches the gospel. And I got to spend a conference with him. I was there with a the non-denominational church planner. And we may have different numbers, but we have the same jersey 
for Jesus Christ. Every Thursday, I try to pray with a group from the 6-4 Fellowship, which is we will devote ourselves to preaching and prayer. So every week, we pray out of the Word of God. We open the Bible, some text, and we try to, that, that reverence, honor God, then our response, and then our request, and then our readiness. We try to follow that. Some of them are E3. One of them is a gospel-preaching Methodist who's, who's just torn apart by what's happening in the United Methodist Church. He's like, united, my eye. <laughs> it's like, we are the ununited Methodist Church. And just breaks his heart for them. Because he, he's preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's constantly torn between, what, do I stay with this church who I've grown up with, who I love? And do I stay and try to preach the gospel and try to, try to be a positive light in a, in a negative culture? And we get to preach. And there's other Baptists that are there in that group. And while some may disagree with me, it would seem that the church began after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And it ends before the seven years of the tribulation. Jesus said, I will build my church, so I don't think it had been built yet. And then no church is mentioned in Revelation after the tribulation begins. Therefore, if you want a definition for the church, this is for the universal church. The universal church is all believers from Pentecost in Acts 2 until the rapture. And over this, Jesus is the head. He's the head over all these churches. And like the head of the river, Jesus is the source of the church's beginning. He says, I will build my church. Head can also mean boss. You know, he's the head man. You might work under a boss, and he, you call him the head man. You might call him other things behind his back, but we'll just, we'll just keep it in respectful. Like a boss, Jesus is in authority. He is head in authority over the church. And like we saw in Revelation, he hires and fires whoever he will. Do you remember when we went through that study in Colossians? Jesus hires and fires, and he says, repent, or else I'm going to come and I'm going to take your candlestick. I'm going to close your doors. In Malachi, he goes, man, I wish you would shut the doors of your church. I remember studying that and thinking, that's a little dramatic. And Jesus goes, you've forgotten about me. Just shut the doors. You're not doing any good. It's like, good night. That's serious. He's heading authority over the church. He hires and fires pastors. Like the head of your body, Jesus gives direction to his church. And I like this one too. It can also mean a guide, someone who is the headmaster or someone who has gone ahead of us. And Jesus goes ahead of his church and we follow others as they follow Christ. I remember one man saying, don't get too far ahead of Jesus or you'll lose both your guide and your way. But what about St. Andrew Baptist Church? Good question for us to ask is, is Jesus the head here? And what does it look like for Jesus? So there's a line in the book, Jesus actively present and in charge. What does it look like for Jesus to be the head of our church, to be in charge of our church? What would it look like to have him as first place in our services and our serving and our attitudes? What would you expect to find a church where Jesus was clearly in charge? And is there a gap here? I think I know of at least three characteristics in every church where Christ is the head. So get this, characteristic number one where Jesus Christ is the head is it is a church that is full of grace. It says in John, Jesus Christ was full of grace. And churches with him as their head are full of grace. They sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or they might sing the newer song, hallelujah, grace like rain pours down on me. Hallelujah, all my stains are washed away. They're washed away. In some churches, people leave singing amazing rules. How sweet the sound that improved a saint like me. 
in those churches, Jesus isn't head. They come in and they get their checklist for the week and they go out proud. I've got it together. And as you think about those churches who sing amazing rules, how sweet the sound that saved a saint like me, you'll find that you don't find many wretches in those churches. And typically, Jesus is absent too. A church with Jesus as the head is first characterized by being full of grace. Secondly, is characterized by being full of truth. A church with Jesus as the head is full of truth. When you walk into these churches where Jesus is in charge, you will never hear the preacher or the Sunday school teacher apologize for the Bible. You won't hear them get up and say, hey, I know that this kind of offends people, so we're just going to not talk about it. Or I'm sure that Jesus didn't mean that when he said that. You won't find in those churches an apology for what is written in Scripture. They believe John 17, 17, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And that's where the church is guided by, is by the truth of the word of God. In these churches, you'll look around and you'll see people with open Bibles and open hearts to the word of truth. Here, the sinner finds saving from his sin, not security in his sin. Because it's truth and it exposes it. But the truth is not used to expose their sin to make them feel bad. The truth is to expose their sin to turn them to Christ, the great Savior, from their sin. Here a sinner finds saving, not security, in their sin. In these churches you hear testimonies of people saying, I once was lost. I once was blind. I once was addicted to pornography. I once was angry. I once was anxious. I once was proud. But the Word of God came and He gave me life. And Jesus is now not only head of this church, but He's head of me. Because the church where Jesus Christ is head is the church where a bunch of Christians have Jesus as their head. Because the church is made up of Christians. As a pastor, I can't just like give you a, a, a Jesus vaccine. <laughs> you know, here, this is the, Jesus is the head of you. Boom, let's, let's just give you this vaccine. He's preeminent over the church. So it is full of grace. It is full of truth. Thirdly, there is love. You will find churches where Jesus is the head being churches that demonstrate love. It says in John, that God, well, 1 John, God is love. In these churches, a divorced person walks in and leaves saying, I think these people love me. Many people who are divorced, they feel like they've got, you ever heard the scarlet letter? The adulterer had to walk around. They feel like they have this, the scarlet D of I'm a divorcee. I, I have this, this shame that I come in with. Divorced people walk in and they leave and they say, I think this church loves me. A single mom with a checkered past walks in and says, I didn't feel judged. In these churches, you'll find doubters, deniers, and delighters in Jesus. And pastors who have the same letter of every point. <laughs> doubters, deniers, and delighters in Jesus Christ. You'll find the young families who walk in and they say, I think the workers love my kids. They seemed almost more excited to take my kids than I was to have my kids. <laughs> and the workers have a smile on their face and they're, they're, they're happy to be there. You'll find older saints who say, I think the teens in this church actually recognize me. I think the teens in this church actually talk, they talk to me. Good question for us teens, you younger people. Do you talk to the older people in this church? Do you go and interact with them? Ask them about their life. There's a lot that they've gone through that you could learn from. And if you just ask them, what's the stupidest thing you've done? You have at least a half hour conversation just right there. <laughs> In these churches, the proud get uncomfortable. 
And the humble, no matter their saintliness or sinfulness, feel loved. Let me say that again. In a church where Jesus' head, the proud get uncomfortable. You ever notice how the Pharisees felt around Jesus? Man, they didn't like him. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. How do you get comfortable around that? <laughs> you can't get comfortable around that. And then this lady caught in adultery, she's caught in the act. And she's thrown in the ground. And Jesus says, okay, which one of you dudes have never sinned? How many of you know her? Whoever hasn't sinned, you throw the first stone. Whoever hasn't ever lusted in their life, you throw the first stone. Whoever hasn't lied in their life, you throw the first stone. And I love in that line, there, there are some things that you learn with time. And do you remember what happens in that text? They disband from the oldest to the youngest. Have you ever seen that? The oldest guy goes, whoa, <laughs> I, I, I can't throw a stone. So the question is, is that our church? So I want, we don't usually do this, but I might actually end us here. I have another point, but I think we can come back to it next week. Are we full of grace? Are we full of truth? Are we full of love? And if, if you're anything like me, it helps being the pastor because I get to see more things. Um, but it could be that you have not experienced grace or you have not experienced love in the church and so you're thinking about people who didn't love you or, or people who make you feel uncomfortable. So as we close this service, what I want you to do is actually pray that God would help you to fill in any gaps that you see in this church. Um, I, I cannot create a church of grace, truth, and love. I can't run a church of grace, truth, and love because it takes us as Christians saying, God, use me to fill in the gaps. So I'd just like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus is preeminent over creation. He's also preeminent over the church. And in your mind with me, maybe pray something along these lines. Father, we desire to be a church where Christ is clearly the head. You see the minds and hearts of each person in here. And God, perhaps right now they see a gap. They see a gap in grace. Maybe they're picking up on a hole in truth or perhaps they can point to a way in which we're not loving. And here, just pray, God, use me to fill in that gap. God, I pray that you would use them to fill in that gap. That you would raise up leaders who see things that I don't see. I pray that you would raise up servants who say, I, I want to be that person who, who makes every young family that walks in feel like they're absolutely loved and that we're so excited to have their kids. Who says, I, I want to, to see this church grow in grace as we minister to people that are different from us. Or who says, I want to I see us take truth and, and precisely communicate it but with grace. And with love. 
God, maybe there's a proud heart in here. And from people that I talk to who often look good on the outside, on the inside they go, man, I wish I was known for exactly who I am. And I pray that you would just give them the grace to be open and honest about who they are and to look to Christ. I pray that we as a church, God, that we would look to Christ, that he would be the head, that it would be demonstrated in the way that we sing, in the way that we interact with each other, in the way that we interact with the world. And I pray that you would, you would evidence that that is what's happening here by bringing people in who are completely different from us. People who, who are looking for Christ and they're longing for Christ and they're saying, I need Christ, but I'm so afraid that when he finds out everything I've done or when the church finds out everything I've done, they'll reject me. God, I pray that the proud would be uncomfortable in this church and that you'd take them out or humble them. I pray that the humble would find hope here. God, I don't know exactly what you're doing on the hearts of each one of us here, but I pray that we would not be like those who receive the word and then we go out and it's just plucked up that it gains no usefulness. Lord, maybe you've laid sin on the life or you've laid conviction on the life of someone here who's living in sin. I pray that they would turn to Christ and that they would turn from sin. That they would never be comfortable here in their sin but recognize that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. That Christ came for sinners of whom I am chief. That they would submit to the Holy Spirit, turn from their sin. And God, if we're going to be a church of truth, that means we have to be Christians who are in the truth. And there may be some here today, Lord, who it's been a long time since their Bible's been dusted off. Or maybe every Sunday is the only time they open the Bible. Their lives aren't being led by truth. May we be individuals who have a hunger and thirst for your word. And that we study it and we humble ourselves under it and we delight in it. And God, there could be a doubter here. And they're saying, I don't even know if any of this is real. I pray you would help them to just express that in a way that we can have a conversation and say, well, what is real? What are you trusting that is the, the hope that you're setting your heart on? God, we want to be your servants. But Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense, our righteousness. Oh God, how we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.